We're glad you're here. We're in a series called Labor Force. Last week, we talked to you about how to be a force in the marketplace. We did a character study on Daniel, and Daniel, the Bible says in chapter 6, had an excellent attitude. And so we talked a lot last week about having an excellent attitude, a good work ethic, because as the, as the line of thinking goes, how can you share Christ in the workplace if you're acting like hell the rest of the time? Right? Kind of quiet. Come on, guys. Come on. Come on. Now, the, the, the thing is, is if, if we are not acting with excellence, it doesn't mean that you're perfect, but if we're not acting with excellence, then really it hurts what we do and it hurts our witness. So I challenge you to go back to the podcast, listen to that from last week. Today, we want to build on that and talk to you about another character um, in the Bible. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, our ushers can come and give you a Bible. We'd love to give that to you. Or if you just left it at home and want to borrow one today, raise your hand and, and we'll, we'll get that to you as well. So I want to set the scene in the narrative. John chapter 1 is our study, and we will uh, go to verse 40. But to set things up, here's what was happening in that day. Jesus had just birthed onto the scene. But there was a guy named John the Baptist who was eating locusts and honey. I don't know how he subsided on a diet like that. I can't imagine eating a locust. Can you? And why the honey? I don't know if that made it taste better, but the Bible doesn't really say. To me, that's just plain gross. But he was dunking people in the, in the Jordan River. People were coming back, and his message was repent, 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 repent. And you know what the crazy thing was? People were. They realized that they, were, they needed God in a different and fresh way. So people were saying, are you the guy? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one to come? And he said, absolutely not. And so in that era, you have to understand where the people and where the culture were at. They were looking for Messiah. They had had several false messiahs come on the scene in that time period because they were slaves under the Roman Empire. They were looking for salvation. They were looking for a political ruler who was going to change things for them. And so all of a sudden there's this buzz about John. Well, these two fishermen hear about it. So they go out and they hear John. They're like, wow, this is fascinating. They ask him the question, are you the one? He says, no, but the one who is is coming. And here comes, here comes Jesus. He shows up on the scene. And then they meet Jesus, these two fishermen. They spend the night with him. They encounter him. They break bread with him. And they go, he's the one. And so here we go back to John chapter 1 in our character study on a gentleman by the name of Andrew. John chapter 1, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. The thing that I want to illustrate to you here is something very clear. The first thing he did, he says, is he went to Simon and said, we found him. Now think about this. Why would he say that unless he hasn't been talking about him? So obviously they've been talking about Messiah. There, there's, a, there's a faith element in their dialogue when they're out fishing. These guys were fishermen. Two places that Simon Peter could have been. One was at home because they lived together. Two was on the lake fishing. 
So imagine the workplace conversations that are going on here. Is he the one? Is he the one? Is this the guy? You know, they had faith dialogue happening. How do we know that? Because he says, we found him. So what that shows us in the, it very, very clearly is in your workplace environment, how many of you understand that, that people need Jesus? And number two, the second thing that he did is said, hey, I've discovered him. The second thing he did, he brought Peter to Jesus. Now, we don't know a lot about Andrew other than three narratives that I'm going to show to you today. But what is interesting about Andrew is Andrew wasn't the rock star of the disciples. I mean, Peter got all the press, you know, uh, Pentecost and everybody's getting saved, thousands of people, and, and Peter's the rock. And the thing that you got to remember, though, for every Peter, there was an Andrew who brought him to Jesus. So Andrew had extreme value in the kingdom. Now, the, the second thing that Andrew did, as I said, is he brought him to Jesus. But the reason, the reason he did this was not because Pastor Ryan at Life Church preached a message called Labor Force that needed to get everyone mobilized in their workplace because the pastor is leaning on you heavily to do that. No, that's not why he did it. He was so fired up, he said, Peter, I've encountered the dude. I've found the man. See the difference? It becomes from a have to to a, oh my gosh, I get to. The Lord just jacked up my life completely. Can I tell you about it? Has the Lord jacked up anybody in here? He's jacked me up really good. And so I can't help but tell people about it. So here we have Andrew, not because his Jewish religion says so, not because a preacher guilted him, not because everyone in his church did it. Andrew goes public because he has an encounter. I want you to to really chew on that word encounter because it's different than religion because religion heaps rules on you. It tells you how worthless you are and how you'll never measure up. Do you realize that all of us don't measure up? We're not worthless. We have extreme value because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords died because he said, you're valuable. So much that I want to have an encounter with you in a fresh, real, and powerful way. So non-Christians, and and I think even many Christians improperly think at times, they look at their workplace environment and they go, it's separation of theology and work. So in essence, they compartmentalize work and say, that's just work. And the reason I'm at work is simply to provide for my family. By the way, that's wrong thinking. Yes, you need to provide for your family, and work is a vehicle to do that. But the reason you exist, if you're a Christ follower, is to reflect the glory of God by the personhood of Jesus Christ. That is why you are at that job that you're working 50,000 hours at, slaving hard at, trying to build a, a future and all of that. It is not from retirement. Do you know there is not one scriptural reference in the scripture talking about how the Apostle Paul retired? Retirement is an American invention, I believe. It is designed to keep us from being all that we can be. And I believe the Lord wants to really mess with us today. I'm going to tell you this flat out. I told this in the, in the first service too. This message should and probably will disturb you. But you have a lot of power at your disposal and you have rights and opportunities that you may not even be aware of. So Andrews think differently. Andrews think No, I don't just come here for a paycheck. Andrews think, I work for God. Colossians 3 tells us that we work for the Lord. If you're a Christ follower, you work for the Lord. So the the mandate is simple. If my job by Jesus is to share my faith with people 
and that is all the time, that means to be available in any situation, then can we exclude work? We can't. And here's the even crazier part. We spend a ridiculous amount of time at work. You spend more time. You spend half your life at work. Half of your entire life at work. That's a lot of time around a lot of different people. So if you compartmentalize that and say, well, I'm not going to share my faith because, you know, no one wants to hear it. Here's the reality, though. You have been bought, bought you, have, you have been sold a lie on the how-to and a lot of your rights that you have, you're intimidated. And we're going to talk about some of this stuff because part of it is, is that we don't know what we can do. We don't know what we can really say. And some of you are Andrews just waiting to burst forth. But you need the game plan. Can I get a witness from the congregation that today you'll have the game plan? Scriptural examples, just to solidify my argument of marketplace ministers. Peter and Andrew, they fished, they ministered. James and John, they mended nets, they ministered. Nathaniel farmed and ministered. I'm sure he even got cows saved. Matthew, a retired tax official, wrote a gospel letter. Mark, an unemployed rich guy, he was unemployed, but he still wrote a gospel letter. Luke, a medical doctor, wrote a gospel letter. John, a partner in a food enterprise, had a ministry. Paul was a tent maker, wrote half the New Testament, worked ridiculous miracles by the hand of God, healed a lot of people, and he was a tent maker. The Ethiopian eunuch, secretary of treasure, involved in ministry. These are all New Testament examples. Erastus, the city treasurer, involved in ministry. Cornelius, a Roman centurion. So here he is. He's a part of the problem. And he's in that environment, and he's a Roman centurion, and he's in the army there. And you know what? He was a witness in the marketplace. Nicodemus had a government position. And how about the ladies? Lydia, a wealthy wholesaler and a marketplace minister. Dorcas was a designer. I feel for her name. <laughs> Dorcas was a designer and manufacturer of inner garments. So what we have is we have the greatest thing, the greatest product ever invented. His name is Jesus, right? He was... God, he is God, was God, he is and ever will be. How can we not sell that? Ah, but there's the tension, because there's tension there. We've got the best person to sell out there. The average adult, as I said, spends 10 hours a day preparing for work, driving to work, and being at work. Here's the incredible and astonishing research that I just can't get over. In August of 2012, Lifeway Research did a survey. So that was last month. In the survey, it said 80% of Christians, those who would call themselves Christians, 80%, 80% said, yep, we believe it's our, we should share our faith. They all agree. They agree. They're saying yes and amen, Pastor Ryan. Absolutely, we agree. Here's the disturbing part. Out of that 80%, two-thirds have not done it within the last six months of that survey quantifying what sharing your faith is. It is not just in every opportunity saying the four spiritual laws like Bill Bright and, and, and having him say a salvation prayer from start to finish. Sharing your faith is a wide and vast thing. It isn't just, well, praise God, I, I chalked one up on my evangelism board, got that person saved. Do you know that people can smell that a mile away? Do any of you like to be sold like that? Or the turn or burn message, do you see that every once in a while? How's that working? That's not the heart of God. That's not in a spirit of love. They're preaching the truth. They're just preaching it out of anger or arrogance. 
The Bible says we preach the truth in love. So we have to be aware of those divine opportunities that God creates for us. Here's what I found about doors. If I kick the door down for the gospel, chances are my foot gets hurt and I hurt a lot of people. But if the Holy Spirit opens the door, amazing things happen. You see the difference? The pressure is not on you to witness. The pressure is on Jesus. You're just simply to be an Andrew and bring them to Jesus. Are you with me? Let's change some of these statistics. Let's go public. Here's the top five reasons, and I encourage you to write this down because I know people in this room, this, this speaks to you. The top five reasons that people don't reveal Christ or share their faith. Number one is hypocrisy. Number one is hypocrisy. I don't live it. I don't think it. Therefore, I can't share it. Well, here's the problem. When you have an encounter like Andrew with Jesus, everything changes. Remember, it's not a have to, it's a want to, and everything changes. Then there's the second type of person who feels hypocritical, and I think we can all relate to this, and it is, I do love Jesus, I do serve God, I do care for him, but I've got issues. Anybody have issues in here? Pastors have issues. We all have issues. But the issue is... We're all hypocrites. We all say things we shouldn't do or do. And how did I say that? We all do things that we shouldn't do even though we know what to do. Here's an example, though, of how you can turn your hypocrisy upside down and affect people in the marketplace. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, in 2000, I believe it was 2006 or 7, I was working for the ABC affiliate in Minneapolis. I was a sports reporter there. And I had the story. It was the story. As a reporter, you get juiced up because if you have a, a breaking story or something that you've been working on and you're the first in the country to break it, that gets exciting. You're like, you're, you're pumped. So there was this guy, you may have heard of him, guy, I don't know, maybe you may have heard of him, Randy Moss, you know. There was this fella, uh, we don't give him a lot of respect around here, I suppose, in these here parts. But there was a guy named Randy Moss who happened to be a former Viking. And so he's working out, and I find out, I get the tip that he's working out for the Packers and the Patriots, and he can go one of two places. I'm the first guy in the country to find this out. Ahead of ESPN, ahead of SportsCenter, all that. I'm, I'm on the phone with the agent, I confirm it. He's worked out for the Packers and the Patriots, he's gonna sign. Yes! So I go to my boss, hey boss, guess what? Uh, the story I've been working on, and he goes, that's awesome. So I, I put it on my blog, it got like a thousands of hits across the nation. And I was really feeling good about myself right up until the point where we talk about the, the five o'clock news, the five, the six, and the 10, and I'm, I'm expecting to be the lead story. And he says, that's awesome work. Now, we're going to take everything that you did, and we're going to have the other guy do it. The tension in my temples was astonishing. I had four-letter words that were coming out of my head that I wanted to utter that didn't come out, but they were right there, and I was like this. You've got to be kidding me. I've worked on this, especially because typically the way it's done is the anchor gives it to the reporter, and the reporter breaks the story and does the details. In this case, because of a lot of circumstances and they wanted the, the other guy to have a platform, I must decrease, my colleague must increase. How many know that just, flank, that just sucks? My ego hated it, hated it. And I know you guys can relate to this in the office place because whenever you do work like that, you want the payoff. I did not handle that right. I got mad. Uh, I didn't go off, but it was enough to where they all know I'm a Christian. I've made it clear. 
I've had conversations, and I completely botched it in front of everybody and said, this is ridiculous, blah, 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 blah. The Lord zaps me on the spot through my hypocrisy, and I go right back to him, and I say, uh, excuse me, I, uh, I really don't like this, but I was completely wrong, inappropriate. God just kind of convicted me. He said that. They were floored, and here's why. Because people don't do that. Most people don't go back and, and have to repent in public and say, well, I was a hypocrite. Well, I was. That got me more favor in that workplace off, off my mistake than anything I could have ever said. Positive. <laughs> because they're looking for real. How many want the real? How many want to be real people out there, living real lives, not just phony on Sunday and it never transform your Monday? Can we be real? Hypocrisy. Here's my encouragement to you, saints, and you are a saint. If you have Christ, you are a saint. That's a whole other sermon. You are the righteousness of Christ if you have Christ. I don't, don't tell me about your imperfections. Tell me about his perfection. So that was one. Hypocrisy is one. Number two. The next one is rejection. Uh, we all face that. But here's the problem. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the message of Jesus. They're rejecting Jesus. Now, if you are acting in a manner that is rejectable, that's your problem. If you're the turn or burn crowd in this, are you, are you with me? It's how you present it. Do you care more about your theology or do you care more about the people that you are talking to? Because I will tell you, I can smell a phony a mile away. You want to be right more than you care about my needs. And that was how I was for many years. That turned me off. What turned me on was people getting authentic and real about their shortcomings and saying, I don't know, but God helped me and he delivered me. You know what? That's attractive. I like that. An example, though, of rejection, and I will tell you, when you begin to live out your faith, you will have persecution. People will occasionally put you on the label God Squad. I was at Channel 2 right before I left and to take that job in, in Minneapolis. And again, when I first started there, the guys that I worked with, we, we just butted heads. It was, you know, I was, I was, I, I blamed everybody else. They were the problem when really Ryan was the problem. Ryan needed to change. So when I finally get God back into my life, I start to change. And, you know, I'm still, my old behaviors are still cropping up. But the difference was when I made the mistakes, I began to own those mistakes and said, you know what, that's just not appropriate. I was wrong. I was the only guy in that office to actually use the word repent. They even called me the chronic repenter. <laughs> and let me just tell you, your flesh doesn't want to do it. But what it did is it opened doors. The day I left, the guy who I butted heads with the most gave me a hug and said, I'm a Christian today because of you. Now, it wasn't because of me. It was because of Jesus. But it was Christ in me, the hope of glory. He saw something real that was honest about their shortcomings. And in your weaknesses, guys... He will be made strong. He will reach people you could never imagine reaching if you would just let him. So I boast in my weakness. Rejection is never fun. Nobody likes rejection. I would be lying to you if I said I didn't have days where I took it personal. Can we be real? I did. But if your love for God trumps your love of self, you can do this. Say, I can do this. You can't, that was weak. Say, I can do this. Amen. 
Amen. So rejection is real. You're going to have that. You will get, I, I promise you, you, at times you will have comments. But here's what I also know. When they're in the foxhole and the, the, the stuff is hitting the fan, you will be the first person they come to for prayer. Mark my words. And for help. I see a lot of heads nodding. The third part, the reason why these are, these are issues in the workplace that I think reasons we don't share Christ. Workplace intimidation. Frankly, there's just some environments that are just plain hostile to the gospel. There are environments that would openly embrace religion, footstools, footbaths, have no problems, but you wear a cross in that same place of business and everybody loses their flipping minds. Why? Because the cross is offensive to those who are perishing. The cross is, does it make sense? Because how could a loving God do that? We have to earn our way to heaven, don't we? But a loving God says, no, I know you're sinful. Therefore, instead of a religion, I'm going to give you me. My name is Jesus. I'm going to come to this earth. I am going to establish a relationship with you and an encounter with you. And that's going to completely make this world upside down. My love is going to transform this world. And it's not a religion. It's a relationship. It's an encounter, just like Andrew. That's what sets the world on fire. Jesus is not a religion. But the workplace intimidation is hostile to Jesus. Here's an example. This Florida man was told, the employer of a Florida man warned him to cease all voluntary religious discussions and coworkers, with coworkers. However, employees who consistently violated the company's profanity policy were not disciplined. Does anybody see something wrong with that? It doesn't make any sense to me. In 1964, the Title VII Civil Rights Act says this, that it allows for water cooler discussions of things like politics, family, and religion. I bet you didn't know that. Some of you may have been intimidated in your workplace. You can't talk God here. If you're on your break and someone opens the door to you, and believe me, they will, if you ask God, he will send them. And if you ask God, he will send them. You have to speak and minister. But in those environments, you have every right. When you're, not on the, when you're on the clock, you need to be doing your job. You don't need to be doing the five points of evangelism while you're working. You work. You work hard. You do what, you do what Daniel did. But when it's time and somebody comes up to you and you said, maybe you're on the job and you, you've got things going on, and you say, I want to help address that need. Can I call you after work? Now you've been listening, you've been aware, and now you're not violating company policy, but you can call that person and minister to them. These opportunities will happen. They should happen. You think Christianity is boring? If you ask God to share Christ, he is going to completely upend your world. It is not boring. Just this week, as I was preparing this message, I had a couple call, wanted to come in. They've been a couple times. I was happy to minister. And I was right in the midst of some thoughts for this message, and I'm like, ugh, they're going to interrupt my flow. Now, that's a bad attitude to have, considering we are about serving people. But can we be real? Oh, these people are interrupting my sermon. Oh. And then the Lord just kind of slapped me and said, what are you doing this for? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So when I didn't have the time, I made the time, and I said, sure, come on in. Turns out we prayed with them. Uh, they had had some marital problems, believing that's going to be rectified, but prayed with them, and they both received Christ right there on the spot. That's 
a divine interruption. That's good. Both in tears. And I could have said, you know what? I'll put that off till next week. You know what? Today is the day of salvation. If you have a divine opportunity, seize it. Somebody did it for me. The least I can do is be aware for them. Intimidation will be there. I promise you, the devil out there, he gets a lot of press. He'll do everything he can to pressure you to not speak. I will tell you that God will give you the time, the place, and the attitude to speak if you are willing to speak. Did I not tell you this message will disturb you? Apathy is another one. It's a disease. Apathy is a disease because it takes Christianity and it marginalizes it just to Sundays. And I can tell you it's more than that. It's every day. Apathy is another challenge to the body of Christ. And here's the one. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but you can go to Revelation and read about the church of Ephesus. It says Jesus was very point blank. He said this, you've lost church of Ephesus, your first love. Because if you're Andrew... You're so fired up. It goes from half two to one two. You want to tell people, you may not know how to share Christ and lead someone into the salvation prayer, but you can say, hey, at my workplace, my, my leg, it was hurting, but this, this guy prayed over it and it got healed. Do you know what you've just done? You've shared your faith. Wow. Here's another one. Somebody's struggling in their marriage. Maybe there's a podcast from Life Church you can direct them to, or perhaps there's a book. Maybe there's a book that addresses that. All of a sudden, you just, hey, you know what? I was thinking about your problem because, you know, I care about you. You haven't even invited them to church yet. You've just, you're, just caring, you're just loving on them, and I, I heard you have some problems. Here's a book. Let me give that to you. Wow. Creativity. God is creative. He will help you find that. And here's the question. The question is, why should I do that? Shouldn't I just worry about me, myself, and I? What if Jesus had that attitude? When you know how good he is, you can't help but sharing. You're not sharing religion. You're not telling them all the doctrines. You are sharing Jesus and the encounter you had. Can I get a witness? The key is the encounter, understanding who he is. The last one here is ignorance. This is one where people in the church think that the person of the cloth is the one who's supposed to be doing all the evangelizing. Do you know how to, what a farce that is? Now, I need to be sharing my faith, but so do you. And you say, well, I can't do it. Yes, you can. Did we not say Andrew was a fisherman? Do you really think they were Greek scholars? They weren't. They didn't have a clue. All they said was, hey, I just met Jesus, and he just turned my world upside down. Can we at least start there? Well, what about evolution, this and this? I don't know, but I just, I prayed, my finances got healed, and praise God. One of the most effective things I've done in the workforce before I was ever a pastor was to say, I don't know, but. <laughs> they love the honesty. I don't know, but here's what he did for me. Oh, cool. We make this so hard. A little seed here, a little seed that We look at, like, sometimes we look at that. Pastor Ryan challenges with a message. We've got to share Christ in the workplace. <gasps> Monday, I've got to go back and witness to everybody in the building. Permission to not do that today. Permission to listen to the Holy Spirit, and he will open doors. Remember that part about you cramming and kicking the doors or the doors being open for the Holy Spirit? There's a vast difference between letting God open the door for you than you trying to kick the door down. 
So I was about to close here. I'm, I'm getting close to close, and I'm thinking about it. The second time we see Andrew in Scripture is John chapter 6. Turn there quickly if you can. John chapter 6, verse 8. So Andrew went public with Peter. Let me set the scene before I read it. Here's the issue. There's no food. Jesus is speaking to the masses, thousands and thousands and thousands of people. There's no food. We have a problem. And here comes Andrew. Verse 8. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everybody to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Wow. Two things I see here, and this is the second aspect of Andrew, because you're Andrews. You're going to get this. The second part is, he saw a need, and he spoke up. He saw a need, and he spoke up. He didn't debate on what he didn't have. He took what little he did have and says, I don't know. I don't know what you're going to do with this. But what did he do that was the smartest thing he could do is he brought it to Jesus. In your marketplace ministry, you are going to have times where you have little. You feel you have little. But don't tell me what little you have or what little talents you have or what a terrible orator you are or what resource you don't have. I would like you to tell me about how big your God is and what he has. This is so fascinating to me because I'm the most inadequate, inept person to be doing what I'm doing, but by the grace of God, I can do it. Why can't you? In our weaknesses, we have to be, I'm telling you, we can transform a city if we're honest about our weaknesses. Too often, people come out of the doors, they want to be super spiritual and super rock stars out there, and, and they're way ahead of God in their approach. they got a head full of knowledge, but a heart full of junk, and they don't use it appropriately, and they vomit it on people, and they're not ready to hear it. What people are interested in is this statement, and I've heard it many times. It is not how much you know, it's how much you care. Peter cared because Andrew cared. Because Andrew had an encounter with Jesus. Do I keep saying that? I want people to have an encounter with Jesus. He spoke up. Andrew was real. I can imagine he said this. I don't have much Jesus. Just a few stories. Can't preach like Peter. Or tell stories like John. But I see this guy hurting in the corner and maybe I'll give him a word of encouragement. The last aspect of Andrew is in John chapter 12. We'll go there quickly. And then I close. And everybody said, Amen. John chapter 12, verse 20 says this. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. They said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told our friend Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Here's another aspect of Andrew. And in this case, we see in the first one, He had an encounter, and he brought Peter. In the second one, he had some resource, not a lot, but he brought him to Jesus. He brought the boy to Jesus. Now in the third time, here's these heathen Gentile Greek people who don't know God from a hole in the wall, and I'm busy because Messiah is about ready to take over. We're here in Jerusalem. The Messiah is here. Everything's going to be restored. I can't be bothered by these non-church people. But that's not what happened. He said, we'll take them to Jesus. He said, 
bring them to Jesus. And I find this interesting. Why did Philip abdicate that to Andrew? Any thoughts on that? Why didn't Philip just take them? And then it hit me because Andrew was the disciple that brought people to Jesus. We need to be like Andrew. We need more Andrews out there. And so I ask you this closing question. Do you see the needs in your workplace? Do you seize the opportunities? And I have to tell you, I miss them. You will miss them from time to time. The question is just being aware. Am I really aware of the needs of my marketplace? I want to challenge you from having to close the deal and just be in this conception of an evangelist in your mind. And I want you to be spirit-led because there may be moments where you can say, I don't know, but I, I prayed this prayer and God set me free. You may be asked to do that. You may simply be asked to be a word of encouragement to somebody. It could be anything you don't know. A coworker's physical need, emotional needs, physical needs. We need Andrews. There's a video as I close. I want to show this video of a man in our church who is a marketplace ministry minister. He is an Andrew. In fact, he was in the first service. And he encounters all of the same fears and things that you and I face. But I think it will be a word of encouragement to you as you take on this next week. Let's listen. You start in the morning before you get up. Uh, be prepared and start with prayer. Uh, and you ask God to send someone your way. And then don't be surprised. And uh, I still am amazed at what he brings in through customers or situations. And uh, you go to work and you prepare to do your job as done to him. unbelievable what God will bring your way and uh, it's not the confidence in who I am but who's in me I've heard people say well I'm nervous every time uh, my confidence is in Christ uh, we've had people come in salespeople come in and they start talking business because of stuff hanging on my walls pictures or whatever oh, you know Bart Sarr and how do you know that and uh, so we're born again Christians we love the Lord and next thing you know you got a mascara mudslide or some guy's tears running down his tie because they came in there to sell you something but God brought them is an opportunity to witness. The uh, obstacle that we see come our way is really an opportunity that God gives us to reflect His love, to reflect what He is. Sometimes you're talking business, you're talking problems, it can become opportunities. And you can see the frustration in somebody, what they're doing, what they're looking at, and, uh, you know, seeing what the world is like, what the economy is doing, who are you going to vote for? And I said, my faith is in the Lord. There's a confidence in your customers. They know who you are. They trust you. There's a, uh, uh, a peace that comes even when it doesn't work out. And I know that's not from me. It's neat to see the impact that it has. And uh, that brings a smile on my face when sometimes people walk out and I can't believe what just happened in that little office. And it's exciting. We profess Christ and uh, we're in sales for Him. So the message is simple. You will transform your office places not by your knowledge but by the presence of Jesus 
after having an encounter, you will transform your workplace. I believe that for everybody. Here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to ask everybody to come down to the altar at the end and say, yes, I'm going to be a marketplace missionary. I'm not going to do that because the Holy Spirit is already speaking to all of us in this room about that. And you're going to be all in or you're not. My job is just to simply preach His grace. His grace is sufficient. I want you guys to take all the pressure off yourself. It is exhausting to try to have to, to be ultra-evangelist guy. Can you just be yourself? Andrew was himself. He had an encounter with Jesus, and he told something about it. He didn't have a 15-point sermon on it. He just, he just loved people. He cared. You can care. And the reason you care is because Christ cares for you. And if you don't know that, you need to know that. I want you to hear the power of how God can transform a country step by step when one person leads another to Christ. Edward Kimball was a shoe salesman. Here he led a shoe salesman to Christ. No one knows who Edward Kimball is, but that shoe salesman was D.L. Moody, the famous evangelist. Moody influences a man named F.B. Meyer, who inspires another evangelist, J. Wilbur Chapman, who tears up the Northeast for Christ and mentors a young evangelist named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday moves to Charlotte and stirs up revivals with an evangelist named Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham then notices a young, small boy who receives Christ in that meeting, and his name was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham helped shape a nation's values. One guy named Edward Kimball and the chain has affected millions. What is God saying to you? What if you're Edward Kimball? You have a significant place in the kingdom of God. Don't let the devil tell you you're worthless. You have extreme value. I asked you this question. Do I know Jesus? Have I encountered Jesus? And if so, I need to share Jesus. But if not, now is the day of salvation. Now I say yes to his grace. I can be myself and he'll love me and he'll be my Lord. But if you haven't done that, I ask that you do that. Just pray this prayer, would you, all of you, after me? Father in heaven, thank you so much for forgiving me for my sin. I receive your grace. I make you my Lord and my Savior. And I purpose to live for you, imperfect and all, in Jesus' name. Amen.